Now, you know the video that they played at, at the Waldorf when you were crown champion was Frank Sinatra's My Way. And everyone has said that you did it your way. You know, you returned down the rides when they were offered to you to go on your own. Is that how Alan Kowicki is going to be looked when it's all over and said and done with? Is that the one thing we're going to remember about Alan Kowicki? Maybe. I mean, time will tell. But I'll never be the guy that wins the most championships or the most races. I mean, those goals realistically are out of reach. But why? <laughs> I mean, Richard I only won seven. I won't make it that long. And now a special presentation from Dinner with Racers. Welcome to part four of the Dinner with Racers Alan Kowicki special. Now, you've already heard quite a lot about him from a lot of the same people you hear from in this episode, but this is where we kind of really wanted to establish how it all ended, the legacy that followed, what you can do to help get Alan into the Hall of Fame, the Alan Kowicki Driver Development Program, all these things that we didn't even really know existed that we are now trying to help spread the word on. So on April 1st, 1993, the Thursday before the spring race at Bristol, Alan had been getting more and more PR opportunities and requests because he's just won the NASCAR championship and was actually starting to relinquish some of his notorious hands-on approach to his crew guys so he could be the championship guy that he needs to be. So he had a Hooters appearance nearby Knoxville, about 90 miles from the track. And rather than drive in the cold and icy conditions, Alan flew back to Tri-Cities Airport along with Mark Brooks, who is the son of the Hooters founder, Robert Brooks, Dan Duncan, who is the director of Hooters Sports Management, and Charlie Campbell, the pilot. One person who chose not to be on that plane that day was Alan's PR guy, Tom Roberts. The afternoon of April 1st, what was going on? Well, let me just explain where I yeah. came in. What I had done through the years that very uh, Hooters in Knoxville is I had actually met him there and we would drive we drove up to Bristol from there Knoxville, Tennessee, which is how long how far of a drive oh 90 miles oh okay not far like that. yeah Alan had been borrowing the plane the Hooters plane and he he and I actually went that fall race we went out to see a plane at the Knoxville Airport okay. that he was looking at buying his own. Sure. So anyhow, he didn't. He did not buy a plane. Right. Because he worked out a deal with Mr. Brooks to borrow their plane yeah. when it was necessary. But we'd heard he wasn't entirely trusting of the pilot. Yeah. Or the plane. Or the plane, yeah. yeah. That, because it was a Merlin, and okay. he had gotten uh, he had gotten people who were in, involved in the air, aviation business had given bad reviews. Oh, the Merlin. Uh, yeah, on, okay. on this plane. Okay. And I'm thinking that it was even, if I can recall, it, it was uh, Sterling's I'm thinking that Sterling's pilot even had said something about the Hooters plane. Okay. They're talking about it being a, 
a Marlin or whatever. So it wasn't so much about a pilot or anything like that as much no, as... No, I never as, heard yeah, anything. Yeah. I, it's it's about the plane I thought it was the plane that he was yeah. nervous about. Right. Like, yeah, he yeah, didn't right. love the airplane. Right. Okay. Yeah. Right. And there had been people around him that were t- that that, yeah, telling yeah. him. You get fed enough information, and if you're not a plane yeah. pilot, yeah. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if, like, Felix Bodies had said something also. He was the, the, the Hooters plane. It was a situation where he wasn't getting it as much as what he needed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he needed to uh, have quality time to discuss with Dan Duncan, who was marketing yeah. for, for Hooters. Hooters. Okay. Was a, so Alan still thought that I was coming to, to Knoxville, that I was flying to Knoxville. So you thought you were on the plane with him, and that I would be yeah. on the plane with him, and again that was him taking the trust and me, but me still trying to look out for his best yeah. interests mm-hmm. and knowing that that you know to this day I don't know I don't think we ever will know they might have they might have used that time to really work out what they're doing yeah so yeah. basically that, that happens so he gets in the car with you thinking you guys are all going to the airport to jump in this plane and you say nah you need to spend time to, to go over some of the marketing and the merchandising or no. he's okay. thinking that i am coming to knoxville you're driving that you're driving down the, the, no he's thinking that i'm flying into knoxville okay, okay. and then i'm going to come over for the appearance and then fly with them on to ah uh, yeah okay okay, okay. but I didn't do that because right. no one, even <laughs> even though Alan's my really, you know, great f- friend, I'm still a client of mine as Hooters, yeah. and I want I look at the big picture there, and I'm thinking the quality time that they can spend without any distractions, they might be able to. And Work I'm not really yeah. needed there right, right. because Mark is there yeah, to help with the it. appearance and everything. Right, right. So long story made short, I fly on to Johnson City. Okay. And we all would meet at the bar at the Sheraton when everybody got into to town. Yeah. So I had already gone to check in. I stayed at the hotel there, too. When... Uh, Rusty and Bill Brooks, who was Rusty's pilot, yeah, they come in and they say that this plane's going down, and we think it's Allen's. Ty Norris, I don't know if you've ever heard of I know Ty. That name. Yeah. So you got a call from the hotel. They had come in. Oh, they came into the hotel. They came in. They had just come from the airport to the check in the hotel. And you're okay. at the bar in the Sheridan? And I'm at the bar in the Sheridan. Uh, so right. That's where everybody would meet up okay. Okay. later on. Okay. Yeah. And so they came in Bill Brooks and Rusty. And I said, oh, my God. So Ty Norris, myself, and uh, Nelson Crozier. Nelson was the radio, avionic, uh, communi- electronics guy that you know, worked for teams, and I think he did like some radio stuff for mm-hmm. MRN and all. So we all loaded up in uh, Tysk's, I think it was Tysk's call. And we went out to the FBO. And then media people started coming. The team gathered. The sheriff came in and had us all in the office, the manager's office there, 
and it's like two o'clock in the morning that he tells us like a description of the crash site. It's like a private, no, no media. This is just you guys just that are us. kind of essential it people. It was just us. And talk about Alan still strapped to the seat. A lot more stuff than that. Probably, you know, operating on, still trying to tell the media people what I can tell them or what yeah. I what I know. Because I assume it's still sort of a site in the sense of like there's still ongoing legal things that they're trying to True. figure out. True. And, and there's still all kinds of ongoing investigation. Right. Then you wind up getting the, the national, get yeah, all DSB the ABA, and FAA yeah, and have to get all those yeah. people there. So <clears throat> it's like the wee hours of the morning. But at this point, you know, it's it's not it's over. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So. We go back, and it's, I just, I was in a fog. I just really was, and of course, I couldn't sleep any. And I got to thinking about what Alan had told me in 86. My, dad, my brother had passed. He said something like, uh, I'm going to leave that up to you. You know, I think that you can figure out where you're needed most or what you're... So I think back about that, that after he got killed and what his advice was to me when my brother died. And that's what gave me, even though I didn't get any sleep there on the first after he's got killed, I thought about that. And I thought that was his advice, you know, and what he was actually saying was, You got to be cool under fire. You got to. You got a job to do. You yeah. need to keep on doing that job. Right, right. That's what. That's why I was able to get up on that day, and I went to the racetrack. And Ron Scalf, the who was the communications guy at the racetrack, gave me his office. Okay. So I'm in his office, answering media calls. Right. Until shit after six o'clock at night. I had no idea what had gone on inside the racetrack. Right. I never got to see Peter Jalen drive. Try the truck around. Never knew a war. Yeah. Never knew nothing. Till I wound up getting back to the hotel and Buddy Parrott was in the bar. Yeah. His first one. Yeah, waves you over. So he calls me over and we have a beer and he tells me everything that went on. That Rusty won the pole. Yeah. Yeah. This is, you know, we're gonna win this race for your buddy, and uh, mm -hmm. and then the way the, the 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 rest of that weekend unfolded, you know, like Allen was the defending series champion who always had the first pit. They chose to not let that pit, the number one pit, stay open. Instead, they gave the pole winner that pit. So it was Rusty that was in that and it, you know to this day I look back at the pictures and I think about all of the all of the wins and everything that I, that I enjoyed being a part of including Bobby Allison's Daytona 588 yeah I think I counted at one time it was like 70 70 something times I had been in victory lane that wow. was yeah. by far 
when Rusty won that race. April of 93. I, I can just look at my face and see. And if, there was a lot that was made of that. I mean, mm -hmm. they, if you go back and you read Rusty's quotes, that there was more than just him driving a car that day. And, and for him to win and then do the Polish victory lap. Yeah, yeah. It was a big deal. And, you know, I also think back about how close that I was to the Allison family and still. And I remember Bobby and Davey at, the, at Allen's Wake and Davey saying he was so glad that Allen won the championship. Yeah. Because yeah. he still had many races to run and many more opportunities. You never know, you know. Carry that strength even through my wife's sickness and death and of course at her service <coughs> I had Father Gr Father Grupa was at did her service. Father Grupa did all the Allison family. Father Grupa did Allen. So he's been like a common denominator everywhere. But in my speaking points that was one of the things that, that I tried to say is uh, love them all you can while you can because, man, you don't know what's around the corner. You don't. Of course, one of those critical figures on April 1st, 1993 was Paul Andrews, who was, of course, the crew chief of the team at the time, uh, but also, after the accident, basically had to become the guy to figure out what the next key decisions were. And so this is Paul's story. So... Uh Last race you guys finish is the Darlington uh, right. Trans South 500. You guys finish sixth. He gets to lead two laps in the last race that he that he does, and then you guys have to go to Bristol. Right? Can you can you give us your memories yeah. of the of the week or? So our pit stops were okay. Yeah. But they need to work, and um, in Bristol we always drove to. You know, like we mentioned. So one of the things that Alan got from Hooters was you know uh, he got the use of their plane. Yeah. You know, and that was one of the deals. And, and just back up again, just a little side note. We had a, not really a choice. We either used the Learjet or the turboprop. Mm -hmm. And we flew to Daytona Test, I think. Yeah, per Daytona, so we flew to Daytona Test and just happened to fly the Learjet. Yeah. Pretty nice plane, you know. And there's six of us going. Well, not a lot of people, you know, maybe even, maybe even five. You know, I don't remember how many flew there. But uh, so we... Um, we ended up um, uh, sitting there, you know, taxiing or maybe just getting ready to leave or just landing in Daytona or something like that, you know, pretty early flight, uh, you know, we tested that day and taxiing around once we landed. And, and he said, you know, this is a, a pretty, pretty nice deal. If you ever had to go out, was, this would be the way to go out, you know. Yeah. So, uh, you know, just a, uh, not, not foreshadowing. Those, yeah. yeah. Kind of wow. Yeah. The way things ended up, you know, it's kind of crazy. But, uh and it wasn't even in the Learjet, unfortunately. <laughs> but, right. uh, you know, yeah, was definitely ha happy with what he had did in life, you know, and what yeah. he did in life up until that point. So, But anyway, yeah, so we were um, – we needed to work on – uh, before the Bristol race, felt like we needed to work on our pit stops. Sure. We always drove to Bristol anyway. It was five hours away. Yeah. Not a big deal. Alan, you go do your appearance and, um, in Knoxville at Hooters and then uh, – We'll drive up that night, you know. Yeah. Kind of like what we always did, normal, you know. So normal, normal, normal deal. deal, you know. Yeah. And then uh, that's, you know, that's, you know, that, that unfortunately the tragedy happened happened that night, you know, coming uh, coming coming back or coming into Bristol's when it happened. So yeah. It was a, it was terrible. Uh, 
We didn't want to believe it. You know, How'd we didn't you, really. How was the way? What, what did you find out? Were didn't you really find out. We got to the motel. Yeah. Uh, got to the motel and had a message. Uh, you know, no cell phones. <laughs> so you guys didn't get to the hotel till late. <laughs> yeah, about eleven o'clock. Really, is when I found out. Yeah. Got okay. to the motel and. So you uh, drove up from here, basically. Mm-hmm. Out, and got there at eleven. I night. think I might have drove by myself. Maybe one other, another one of the guys, one other guy with me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, don't remember exactly how it was. But it seemed like there wasn't many people with me, and maybe a couple other guys because we're all you know fairly yeah. close. We you know sometimes we. You know, a lot of wives you know, go in that race. You know, some so guys are home. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, so it's a fairly close race to go to. And then, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was crazy. You know, uh, got a message. Uh, you know, I don't even remember who it's from. That you know, there's been an accident and uh, go go basically go to the the FBO where he's supposed to fly into and for try to get a little more information, but didn't really know what was going on. Just an accident. You know, so I think Tom Roberts is. I know Tom Roberts is there and was trying to. Information was very sketchy. Yeah, did not know the serious seriousness of the accident at all. You know, and 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 really didn't know he's he's dead until, you know, and it was obviously not hoping that wouldn't happen. Right, right. <laughs> you know, so that yeah, was, was a it was a rough night. Um, um, but um, eventually, you know, found out more and got some authorities. You know, that uh, to tell us that you know it was you know the place is packed yeah. with people. In the same boat, not knowing what was going on, you know. Right. Um, you know, just trying to figure out what's going on, and as the night went on, you know, definitely get more information, and and uh, they wouldn't identify, they hadn't identified the bodies, but they said, basically come back and finally told us that everybody on on board was had been killed, you yeah. know. So, um, and that's you know, we still didn't know what to do. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, at the time. Uh, Nobody, nothing like this had ever happened, you know, NASCAR, right. you know, so ask me what that is. So, I don't know. So yeah, you're the, <laughs> you know? you're like kind of the, um, the leader of the team at this here point. Here I am, the guy that's yeah. got to make the decision. Yeah. You know? So, so um, uh talked to, the, I don't even know, I think I talked to one of the NASCAR officials uh, early that morning. Um, you know, it's customary for the champion to park first. Yeah. Well, in Bristol, if the champion parks first, also the last one to leave so because of the accident you know <clears throat> and obviously didn't have a driver um they parked us last and and well, you know when everything got me in there right away you know to figure out what we're going to do and and we all they didn't know what they didn't know what to tell me to do you know yeah, uh, yeah, and, yeah. and so this is nascar you mean? yeah nascar yeah, yeah. and then so you, well you just need to go home and you know Deal just yeah. take yeah. a break you know yeah. what i mean Regroup. yeah but we didn't know what to do, and, and they didn't know what to do. Really, from a certain standpoint, and I think they all we all wanted to felt like we needed to, you know, let's just, you know, you guys go on and, you know, regroup and see what happens. But you know, Jerry on the team. Yeah, right. Uh, right. Well, let's say so. At this point, I mean, this is hours later. You're running the team, but is it even clear at this point who owns the team? Yeah, we knew Jerry did. Okay, so yeah, it, it was, was definitely uh, right okay. away. You know, um, I don't know how I found out. Um, Maybe, maybe, uh, might have been NASCAR that knew if anything happens to me that that's my dad, Jerry, yeah, yeah. you know, Jerry's yeah. the one that's going to do it. You know, I, I don't know, you know, yeah. sure. Even to this day, I don't know if that's what happened, but uh, I knew that Jerry's the one that was going to make the decisions, and, and yeah. uh, and he didn't decide a decision he wanted to make, you know, and it, here it is. <laughs> yeah, it's got to, yeah. yeah. It's, it's on my shoulders, you know, so, so yeah, it was, uh, it was a crazy deal, you know, did, you know, once we kind of spent a little time and, and, um, of course, I had crew members, uh, you know, 
hang on, guys, don't leave yet. You know, let's just right. let me work through this thing and let's figure out, make sure we do things the right way. You know, and then yeah. uh, um, I don't even think most of them are waited outside the racetrack because that's how that you yeah, know, the way the you know, you yeah. go outside. You know, so it all worked out that way, and um, and, and a few hours later, it's you know, we decided it's okay. It's, it's, uh, let's call it a day and get the truck out of here and all, yeah. all that stuff. You know, it was tough. Still is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. You can, you can take a minute if you yeah. need. Yeah. I don't know why I can't talk about this now and still not cry. So. <laughs> uh, I understand. Well, yeah, as we, we yeah. can't imagine. So. You know, I've, I've definitely uh, dealt with <coughs> death in my past, family members and stuff like that, but still to this day, it's the hardest death I've ever had to deal with. Yeah. Uh, an emotional guy. He he was really open with us and, and inviting with a lot of things that were very important to him and very personal. So we really appreciate Paul. Now we're going to hear from Peter Jelen again. Peter was the truck driver for Alan Quickie Racing. And uh, one of the things that's very unique to Peter's side of the story was having to drive the Alan Quickie truck and trailer out of the circuit after it had been learned that Alan had passed away from the plane crash. got to go to the guys are going to do pit stop practice so normally everybody goes out together but the guys stay back this time and they're going to drive into bristol um where are you in this whole scenario well i am i was i was taking care of the truck right pit stop car right drove the pit stop car set the pits up on our wait did pit stop car went pit stop travel it was a pit stop, it was a race car right, but was, i thought that stayed in the shop no the pit no the pit stop car was a race car they wanted to practice pit stops. No, oh, at the track. No, at the no, shop. No, at the shop. No, I'm thinking, okay, I'm confusing. No. They, so, they, the pit stop car stays at the shop, right? Yeah. No, the pit stop car was the race car. What he's saying is... Oh, oh, there yeah. is no pit stop car is no. what you're saying. No. Okay. Yeah. The race car yeah. was Yeah, you don't have some rolling chassis that's just permanently no, there. This, this, no, you this, are practicing. This, this, no. I apologize. We're <laughs> on the same page okay. now. Okay. No, you're good. I'm here. Here I am. <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome back. I'm back now. Alan, come in. We kept saying, Alan, you got to get out of here. you got, you got to go wherever you go. Knoxville. you got to go wherever you're going. And it was like, yeah, I got to go, got to go, got to go. Well, his briefcase was always by the door, right by Paul's office, always sat there. And he, yeah, I got to do this, I got to do that. Now, I don't know what he was doing. I don't know if he was checking. He his, always had to, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's something stupid going on or something serious going on. Always had to yeah, yeah. He was always in the office. And so he finally gets the car done, get ready, the truck was ready to load, toolbox to load. All we have to do is load the car up. But the guys want to do a pit stop practice. We'll drive up there. All right, cool. So off we go. We do two, two. He leaves. Forgot guy see it, and he just waves. See ya. Out the door he goes. Boom. Never saw him again. So you get the car outside. We do a pit stop practice. We do I don't know four or five stops. Whatever. <clears throat> Case would be. Put the wall back. Load the car up. Off I go. Guys getting a pickup truck. Off they go. And go up 81 towards Bristol. So I'm heading up the road, and I got Tony with me. And Tony Gibson's with me, and we're just riding along, and he's late in the back. And I get almost to uh, Bristol to. Uh, 391, which I guess is a three. And I heard in a CB radio, like, hey, did you hear about that plane crash? On the CB radio, I'm like, plane crash? What plane crash? So I'm going, as I hear, I turn volume a little more. Like, yeah, it was a race plane. And I'm thinking, race plane? Well, the first thing I'm thinking is Rusty. Because Rusty at the time had her doing what really had a plane. Now, so I get on the radio going, what's this, what's this race plane? Well, <clears throat> long story short, 
oh yeah, it's a race plane, not sure, something went down, something NASCAR, da da da. So of course, no cell phones, no, none of this electronic stuff. Right, did it at any point in this CB conversation that it occurred to you this could be the Hooters plane? No. Okay. Right. The first thing I'm thinking was Allen. Or, um, uh, Rusty. Rusty. Right. Yeah. First thing I'm thinking was because I never thought of, never thought of Allen. Right. Because Rusty always like, I fly, I fly, I fly, yeah, yeah, I fly, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah. Right, right, right. So I'm thinking, God, it's Rusty, you know? Oh man, that's bad. So we get off 391 there, and of course you're looking around, and back then, phone booth, right. on a phone booth. Well, Tony gets out, calls his wife. And she wanted, because he wanted to make sure that she didn't hear it, that it was him. Oh, yeah, and be worried. Yes. Yeah, right. Oh, right. Not I sure that it wasn't yeah. Tony. It wasn't Tony. Right. Yeah. right. So he stopped, he finds a phone booth. Okay. And he calls her. <laughs> and she's like, I'm not sure. I'm glad it's not you, but I think that I heard it's Alan's plane. So now I get a hold of Paul. How I got a hold of Paul is beyond me, because once again, it's no cell phones, it's no. all, yeah. you know, phone booths. They track people down. So I'm like, what do I do? He goes, well, go, to the, go to the motel. So I went to the motel. With the truck? Yeah, with the truck. Okay. I get to the truck, or to the, tr uh, the motel with the truck, there's a cop there. Now, were you supposed to go to the track? Normally you would. Okay. But we got there usually, because you don't park the Friday morning. You park outside and you, park, yeah, yeah, you do and your thing. You get so the ride back in. Right, you get back in. So I went to the, mo I went to the motel, or the motel, and there's a Johnson City cop there. I'm thinking, what's he doing here? Well, he was kind of there to kind of keep peace, because apparently he must have heard something. He must know, right. So I went to the guys we checked in. He was like, yeah, we know what's going on. We're not quite sure, da 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 We'll take care of it. So the cop's like, okay, we'll watch your truck for it. I'm like, all right. And now it's, I don't know what time it was, you know, 8, 9, 10. And now it's like 4 o'clock in the morning. Paul finally calls him. Well, now we're, well, first of all, we're in the motel. So you stay in the motel. So you don't, because like Paul at this point. He's at the airport. He's at the airport. You're not. We're You're, not. So Me? you and the guys. Right. Okay. Well, Paul. It was Paul, Danny, and Cal at the airport. They're all there. And me and Tony, and are, Tony at the, are back. At the, at the motel. Okay. So we're not quite sure what's going on. So we're now CNN gets involved, and they start showing clips of Alan. They're starting to hear CNN. I don't know how they get all their information, but they, they got it. So now I'm going, holy cow. So This seems real. It seems real now, but nothing's confirmed. Nothing's confirmed. Nothing's confirmed. Now it's like 4 in the morning, something like that. And Paul finally calls and said, yes, it was Alan's plane. This is what happened. It crashed. Because he don't know more than we do. Mm. And I'm like, now what? He's like, I don't know. What do we do? I'm like, I don't know. What do we do? He says, well, I guess we need to go to the racetrack. I'm like, all right. So, because at first I said, you know, Paul, it's still dark. I go right by the racetrack and go home. And he's like, no, go to the racetrack. Because he didn't, he didn't know what to do. So I did. Right. So, but, but back then you parked on top of the hill. Mm -hmm. It wasn't all like it is now. It was, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a one-lane confusion. So I get there, and Buster Rock comes up, and he knew what happened. Right. And I said, Buster, I don't want to park. I don't. I don't want to get down in a hole because they parked. Once you're locked in. Yeah. Once you're locked right. in, I said, right. look, yeah. I'll park the truck, but I'm not. I'm not staying. He goes, Fall, do do the right because nobody knew. Yeah. Yeah. But nobody. Nobody knew. Nobody knew what they should be doing. Right. Right. Okay. So I. So he goes, park your truck. He goes, I'll park you on the front stretch sit there all right so i do my thing i park first and they call roll call and they do my thing and as when i went in they just pulled me around i parked in front everybody parked well i don't know it was like eight eight o'clock or so it started getting light you know what well, the day's starting and they're like you gotta move your truck so i moved my truck onto the into the garage area what little garage they had and uh Guys come over. Guys, guys are starting to hear about it. They're coming over, consulting you, and hey, you need some to give you a hug. They're just, yeah. you know, they're trying to be doing what they can. Do what they can, no. because nobody knew. So I don't know, ten o'clock or so. 
we leave. And this is the next morning. This is this, this is, is Friday this morning. Is Friday morning, yeah. yeah. And we we leave. We go to the motel. Truck's still there. The truck's still at the racetrack. Okay. We get in a pickup truck. We go to the motel. Yeah. Now we're talking to Jerry, which is Alan's dad. Yeah. Over the phone, he's like, "You guys are there. I don't want you there. I don't want you racing the car. But I don't know what's going on." He was confused too. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's tough I, for everybody. It's yeah. tough for everybody. So I'm kind of like, Alan has been gone 12 hours. We can't we can't race this car. I'm, and this is me now. Mm -hmm, I'm right. like, in, what do you do? Uh, it's not fair to Alan. It's not for the, nobody. Nobody. Nobody had the heart yeah. to work on it. Right. So, long story short, we go back. So, Alan's, or so Jerry goes. You guys do what you got to do. Was that his way of saying you make the call? Basically, you'd make the call. Okay. He didn't know what was happening. Okay. But he says you guys do it best. I don't want you racing the car, but you guys make the best call. So we go back, and I don't know what I don't even know what time it was then. And of course, now practice is going. You know, they're racing. They're practicing. Right. Right. Well, I. I'm not one to really interfere because that's not my. I'm not the crew chief. I'm not. Yeah, this, you're, 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 this is where it's nice to just be the guy driving the truck. Yeah. Basically, yeah. Yeah. Matt, you're exactly right. Yeah. right. So I was out there and it was practice. You know, it's going on, going on. Well, Tony, Tony gets upset. Tony, Tony, because Tony liked to fly. Tony's like, I'm out of here. I'm taking a bus. Well, Tony leaves. Oh no, kidding. Yeah, Tony left. Just didn't want to deal with it. He didn't want to deal with it. Yeah. He left, and, and I and I respect yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, I fine. totally respect that. He leaves. I'm thinking, oh my god. So now, another hour goes by. I'm thinking. What's going on in there? So I go inside the NASCAR lounge or NASCAR office, whatever, and there's Danny, Cal, and Paul just kind of in awe. You know, they're in disbelief. That's what they're supposed to say, yeah. You know, and it to totally understand that. And I'm like, guys, we, we got to make a decision here. Uh, we got guys back at the shop. We got no one's no one can work on this car. I don't care if you put Dale Earnhardt in this car, Rusty Wallace, because I know Ford, NASCAR, Everybody got involved. It just got really crazy, and we weren't ready for it. Cause you know why? It was still Alan's car. Yeah. Alan makes the calls. Yeah. Alan was the man, and we didn't know what to do. And we tried to make the right decisions, but we didn't know what to do. But we had Jerry's blessing. Do what you think's best. And I'm like, guys, we got we got to get out of here. We got to think what our next move is. So NASCAR come in and say, look, do what you got to do. We'll stop practice. And that's when they asked me, would you make the lap? And I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. I, I, Alan will be pissed. He, he won't want, he, he won't want yeah, that. Yeah. He'd be mad at me. Yeah. And wasting fuel, you know, wasting time. <laughs> and they wanted me to do the backwards lap. And I says, no, I'm not going to do the backwards lap. I goes, that's Alan's lap. That's not mine. That is Alan's deal. That's Alan's deal. Well, can you make a couple laps? Because a lot of people here can't make the memorial. It's when they, when you leave, that's it. Like. So I said I'll do it. I mean, that was a tough. That was a tough two laps. Trust me. And I'll tell you what. When they, you know, they always say, "Oh, the driver makes the hard left turn in the garage. That's the hardest. That's the hardest turn in racing." No, it ain't. Yeah. The hardest turn was making that right hand turn. That was the hardest one because I knew when that truck cleared that gate, no idea what was going to happen after that. Now Danny and I, Danny decided to ride back in the truck with me. He said, "I want Pete by himself." So I, that's cool. So me and Danny come back, and Paul and somebody else was with, with or somebody else was with Paul. And I'll tell you, when I made that right-hand turn, and I had two cops, two uh, Bristol Police motorcycle guys follow me all the way to 81. Yeah. And when I got to 81, they just stopped, and I got on 81. I'm thinking, that's it, bud. Yeah. We're done. Yeah. Not had no clue. Now, a two-hour, three-hour trip home, got home, got to the shop. Of course, every newscaster, every cars, everything's at the shop. 
parked the truck. Of course, my wife's there. She's upset, you know, and had to console her. And it was hard. It was hard. That was a tough. That was a tough day. You know, that was a tough. That was a tough decision. A lot of people. You know, Paul, Cal, Alan, you know, Tony, myself. You know, at Jerry. I mean, it was a tough decision on everybody. You know, and everyone NASCAR. I say uh, the track, uh, the competitors. I mean, they all. They did what they had to do. You know, they they. It, it was a tough decision. Yeah. Yeah. There was no right decision. For yeah. that no, because nobody, no one really knew what to do. So. Yeah. You turn onto the the highway. Basically, the cops kind of stop. Say, all right. Have fun driving home. Um, were you by yourself? No, I had Danny Clay with me. Okay. Danny was with me. Okay. The motor guy. Yeah. He's like, he, he knew Tony left. Yeah. And, and how he Tony got home. Right yeah, along. I don't know. Okay. Tony got bust. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> sure. Tony. Tony's cool, man. I love him. I love him. He's yeah, my yeah, roommate. Yeah. Love him to death. Great guy. Um, but Danny says, no, I want Pete. He shouldn't be by himself. So there was somebody with Paul, and there was somebody with me. Okay. Which that's that was the team thing. Yeah. That was a team thing. You know. How quiet was that ride? Very quiet. Yeah. Very quiet. Uh, the CB didn't say nothing. Yeah. Um, I'm sure a lot of truck drivers either knew or didn't know. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Danny didn't say a whole lot. Danny, Danny's pretty reserved. He's pretty cool. I still, I, in fact, I saw Danny last week at the racetrack. Oh. I still see him. Um, love the guy to death. He taught me a lot of things. Um, but it was very, very, very surreal, I guess you call it. Is that the word? Right. Um, but no, he didn't say a whole lot. Uh, actually, Danny kind of laid down in the back and just kind of chilled out, you know, and I just drove. Um, that was quiet. Very quiet. Yeah. I mean, what, do you, what do you say? What, what, what do you do? What do you yeah. say? What's, you know? the, what's the protocol for that? Yeah. Yeah. You okay? Yeah. You okay? I'm cool. Sure. Yeah. You, exactly. you want to talk? No. You want to talk? No. Not really. Yeah. But we all, but we all, but we all knew we were there for each other. Yeah. But we didn't, we just, we lost our leader. Yeah. We lost our driver. We lost our crew chief. We lost our, not our crew chief, but we lost our, our mentor. We lost our friend. We lost yeah. our owner. We lost a lot. We lost, we lost a lot that day. Yeah. So there was a lot of guys that lost more than just, but we lost Alan. That was the main thing. We lost him. And everything else didn't matter then. Yeah. Nothing else mattered. So, of course, with the news of Alan's accident came uh, the responsibility of the next steps. Uh, one major figure in that was uh, Father Dale Gruba. Now, you heard Father Gruba in our previous episode, episode three, telling some fun stories about Alan. Uh, but uh, Father Gruba also had the very difficult responsibility uh, to discuss things with Alan's family, as well as, of course, hold services. And uh, this is Father Gruba's account. And Humpy Wheeler called me. And uh, he said, you know, Alan Kowicki has been involved in, a, in an airplane crash uh, in flying into uh, Bristol. And he said, you know, I'm sure that, you know, from my sources, I'm sure that Alan passed away. And he said, uh, maybe you better call his father and tell him that that's the case. And uh, so I called Jerry and I asked Jerry what he was doing and he said he was surfing the TV channels because it hadn't come out for sure yet to see what the latest news was on that airplane crash. And uh, I had to tell him, I said, you know, I said, Humpy Wheeler called me and with his sources, uh, nobody survived that crash. And um, at that time, and I've always thought that, you know, you, telephone companies can, can cut in on a conversation. And at that point, the conversation got cut in on, and I always presumed that it was somebody that was calling, you know, to say that indeed he had passed away. 
I never knew for sure, and I never went back and asked Jerry, but then Jerry asked me if I would, uh, you know, do the funeral service and, and kind of organize things and so forth. But, uh, you know, it was, a sad, it was a sad moment, you know, for all of us, you know, it was April Fool's Day. You know, at first I think a lot of people thought it was just an April Fool's joke, but indeed it wasn't, you know, it was a very tragic moment. So what, <clears throat> you obviously have a role, um after an accident like that so it's it's in some ways easier to mourn when you have a job to do you know in yeah. your case it was setting up services and things like that um what was where were you at that point in terms of just your thoughts and emotions well <clears throat> you know, the, the thing was from the mo from that night until you know until i went down to do the funeral service and was be part of the funeral service yeah. the phone rang all day you know, I, there were just people calling, you know, because they obviously you know, knew that, you know, I was going to be a part of it, but they also just were calling to share their grief and, and to share their emotions and so forth. So I really didn't have time, you know, to become emotionally involved until the actual service itself, you know, when, and uh, I had gotten Bill Broderick to kind of take care of just lining things up like where the media was going to be in the church and and where the where the important people were going to sit where the family was going to sit so bill and i were coordinating all of that but it it wasn't till actually you know when we got into the service and uh you know and i i knew that you know i knew that i had to be strong just because you know all these people were there and they were expecting me to be but um you know, and it, it wasn't until the end of the homily that it really hit me, you know, as to, you know, the whole, you know, the whole tragedy of, of what had taken place in my own relationship with him and things like that. And it became a very sorrowful moment. We haven't heard or seen much about the service itself. Tell us about the service. Uh, <clears throat> service was, you know, the traditional uh, Catholic mass, mm. uh, which is, you know, a regular mass and then the actual um, the sermon itself which is is more of a eulogy or at least I make it that way because you know people can identify then with the with the person and then we had a long procession out to the cemetery you know he was St. Albert Cemetery was was located quite a ways away and uh, you know I, we had this uh, the burial service there and um, I always remember uh, that later on there was a, a little memorial that a, people brought flowers and things like that out there, but there was a little placard that a person had put there about how Alan had been a great influence on this young man's life right. and how, as a result, he had kind of turned his life around. Wow. But, uh, you know, it, it was, you know, it was uh, just quite a sad thing. So now we're going to hear from Captain Bob, who is a uh, former police commissioner in the area that Alan grew up in, and he currently is with Wisconsin Hot Rod Radio and has become sort of a local hot rod guru of Wisconsin. But more particular to this story, he's a big part of the Alan Kowicki Day post-championship banquet, as well as raising funds and handling the organization of building the Alan Kowicki Park in Greenfield, Wisconsin. So April 1st happens. Right. And uh, um, 
what what's the process after that in, in terms of like I can't imagine you woke up April 2nd and said no. <coughs> what actually happened something. was uh, when this started was Ellen won the championship we had to do something to honor Ellen so the mayor and I we sat down now this is way before the park this is when Ellen was still alive let's bring him back to the city let's do a big hoopla for him saying right. congratulations and everything else so I went into the process of planning this whole thing that was going on. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, we had it at the local Greenfield High School, which we knew could handle the crowd. Uh, we didn't know to what extent how right, many people right, were right. going to come. Because you assume yeah, it'd be like a few hundred people, 10, maybe a thousand people, people. Came. Right. So that day came. People came from all over. They came to visit him. We had a great time. Uh, then here came April 1st. I was at home with my wife. I was doing some paperwork. She was reading the newspaper. And the phone rang, and all somebody said was, turn on the news. And I hung up, and my wife said, who was that? I said, I don't know. I said, somebody said, turn on the news. Turned on the news, and that's when they were talking about the plane crash. Right. And then after that, I started to get a couple calls of people saying, what happened? Well, I didn't know. Right. I mean, I wasn't there. I didn't know. And uh, tried to get a hold of Jerry Quickie, which obviously he you know, yeah, was, was somewhere else. Yeah, sure. And so and that's what happened. Uh, so the... The park specifically, from the way you described it, it's almost like this was something that was kind of in progress before the accident had ever happened. Alan was proud of children because he was an athlete. And we had to make sure that whatever was going to be here, kids were involved. But, I mean, did he have a... Or was there some sort of known thing that he had where he wanted to get back to the community in the sense of, like, like the idea of the park, was that ever his specific concept? Or, or like, you mentioned the fact that it's it's a lot of baseball diamonds. Um, I mean, was there any, anything no, specifically tying to it him? it wasn't that? because, like all of us, we don't plan our death. Yeah, sure. And, you know, uh, obviously if he knew he was going to die shortly after that, he probably would have said, hey, I want to do something here. But you figure you're going to be around forever. Sure. Well, so, especially at 38, I mean. Yeah, yeah. So. It's it's not a simple project. Right. So we can say that. Sure. It takes time and you gotta know people. Yeah. And those people gotta know people. I was gonna say it probably helps that you the position you had in local, you know, community. Politics, yeah. People are probably gonna call you back when you're like, Hey, I gotta get this permit. Well, the neat thing about out. the whole thing yeah. was being police commissioner. Right. If they didn't work with you, you jailed them all and put them in jail. Right. Close up the <laughs> right. businesses. I love it. Correct. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's going on now. That's yeah. gonna be yeah. <laughs> That ended my career right there. <laughs> That's what we're good for. Yeah. Um, so, no, but you are right. Uh, you know, you would call people to tell them what, you, what you're doing and who you were. Yeah. Yeah. You got a name behind you. It's, it's no different than you or us with a radio show because yeah. I've got my radio show. Can I give that a plug? You can absolutely. Wisconsin High Rod Radio. Check us out. Yeah. Check us out, Cam Bob and Arlo, The Adventures of. But the people that we did work with, they were all fantastic people. Yeah. I mean, they all came to bat. They all did a great job. Some of the companies we dealt with, you know, you go, at that time, the Internet <laughs> was out there, but it wasn't used that as heavily as it is nowadays. Yeah. So you started checking companies to find out, hey, can we do this, can we do this? And there were some outside companies that we had to deal with outside the state to say we need this to be done. And right. they would come on, well, you know, what are you doing? We're building Allen Quickie Park. Oh, okay. Well, really. we can okay. be part of this. Well, I'll tell you what, we'll give you a discount if you do this. Cool. So it kind of sure. worked out a little so nice. So kind of kept moving that way. Now, I mean, this was an idea that was already formulating in 1992 prior to the accident. Did anything change from nope. 1993 on? Or was it just sort of the same general vision? Yeah. Yes, okay. it was about the same. So w when we were talking uh, at the park itself earlier, you mentioned that 
it kind of stays alive now because it is used for parties and, right. and things like that. But the, when we were done with it, obviously we had a bunch of board members that were part of this. It was like 12 of us, I believe, 10 or 12. And uh, we knew we couldn't take care of the park because yeah. we're all different individual people. Sure. Plus, some of them have moved. Yeah. Some of the you know, people have moved to Florida. Some people have passed away. Sure. Who's going to take over the park? Right. Who's going to now open the park up and yeah. keep it going yeah. and running it? A friend of mine at that time was on the Greenfield Lions, and I talked to <laughs> Which is like a local. <laughs> right, it's a Lions club. Yeah. Excuse me for my cough there. Edit that out, would you please? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I like that he points it yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. He, he knows. He, knows he, he will, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so we talked to the Lions, and they said, hey, we'd be more than happy to you know run this. Here's you know what we can do. And I said, okay, good. You guys will be responsible for any rentals of the building, taking care of anything about the building, yeah. uh, make sure the maintenance is there uh, inside yeah. and even on the outside because the county at that point did not have permission to come in the building. It okay. still does to this day. Okay. Uh, so they took care of all the upkeeps of the building. Well, but still, I mean, 20, 21 years, however you want to define it, I walked in and did not feel like I was in sort of yeah. an older building yeah, whatsoever. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so the fact that you guys have kept it up the way it's been kept up, I don't know if that's you, the Lions Club, or whoever that is, but it's its very, very well done the way that's uh, been put together. So, um, so okay, so so funding, and it sounded like it was sort of a matter of getting a couple of big dominoes to fall and then kind of going from there. And, and um, it sounds like Mr. Brooks from, from Hooters was obviously the kind of the biggest domino to sort of move yep. along, if that's correct. Yeah. Um, he, got, he got a little upset with me at one point. Oh, proceed. You know. Is you know, I called him. He was on his way to a race, and uh, Bob Brooks. I said, you know, we need to build this park. We need some money from you. Now this is pre-accident, right? Okay. Before, right after, right yeah. after the accident. And oh, I said, okay. Yeah. yeah, right after the accident. I said, we need to build this park, and he said, all right. He says, uh, Tom was a one point five million dollar. Right. Now, project. and to be clear, I mean this this act for 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 Mr. Brooks specifically, this accident didn't just take Allen. I mean, this accident also took his son. Right. And, and like right. two and others. Exactly. And, and another associate from, yeah. Yeah. from Hooters. From Hooters, yeah. Sure. Yeah. So we had, I had asked for, you know, I, he said, I'd be glad to write you a check for $50,000. And I said to Bob Brooks, I said, well, it's very nice, very cordial of you. Thank you so much. That will really help with the project. But how about 500000 And he went, you could hear him kind of like, what? Hell? Yeah, right. And he came back and he said, well, we want a couple more words. He said, well, I'll do a check for 100000 Again, Bob, thank you so much. I appreciate it very much. This is really great. Appreciate everything you're doing here. I said, but how about $400,000? And he went, well, you know, what is there a problem with you? And I said, yeah. I said, we need to get this park done. Boiled down to, we got 250000 from him. And as I told him, you had lost your son. The building's going to be called the Brooks Pavilion. And it'll be named after your son also, too. So then he was very proud of it. Yeah. You and, you and I were talking on earlier offline, and you mentioned that uh, you went to Alan's house. Mm -hmm. you know and help the family kind of like you know get past you know what comes after you know losing somebody and sounds like you spent a fair amount of time with jerry alan's dad and from everything i've researched on him he was like same as alan you know like very direct and dedicated and very stern hard to get to know and very stern he checked on everything that you would do yeah he would watch over everything uh he gave me permission to if there were any items that were produced out there to help raise money for the park, he said, you're going to meet with the people. You're going to either okay it or, or scrap the whole idea, and then plus let me know about it too. And that's what I would do. If somebody would come up and say, hey, we're going to produce this, 
book or whatever and you know we're going to give all the proceeds to that well we'd have to check into it to make sure the money was coming to the park and not going to somebody's pocket so yeah uh, i would have to say <laughs> it's pretty funny because jerry just and thelma basically lived from my home maybe about four miles away okay and on saturday nights <laughs> we'd go out to dinner and jerry loved his manhattans and uh i i hey i like manhattans too but <laughs> there's a certain point in my life that uh you know when you're sitting in a restaurant and everybody's talking and all you see is lips moving you know you've had <laughs> enough manhattans right and jerry could that's drink. usually like podcast 26. Oh, he could drink Manhattan's like nobody's business. <laughs> and I, you know, and I couldn't keep up with the guy. He was yeah, like, no yeah. way. I mean, he was, a, he was a professional, obviously. Yeah, right. But we, we had won that great relationship. I'd never, ever uh, never that come in my life took my wallet out. He would never let me do that. Oh, wow. I would yeah. actually have to go to the bathroom, then, get the waitress, right, right. Yeah. pay the bill, and then he'd get mad at me. Oh, he'd get really upset. Huh. You're never going to pay for anything. He'd get really upset at the table. Don't right. you ever do that ever again. Yeah. Jerry, you can't keep paying every Saturday. Yeah. I mean, and we, we'd go there like about maybe four or five in the afternoon, my wife and I. Oh, yeah. We wouldn't come home until three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> and, you know, it was, it was kind of funny because like, we'd always go to their house. You'd yeah. always want to go there because you like to make his Manhattans. <laughs> we'd have like two or three of those before we'd go out to dinner. Then we'd have about two men hands at dinner. Then after, after I like that even when it came to his liquor, he was that controlled. Yeah, he's like, oh, like, yeah, hey, yeah. like no, I, this is mine. Yeah. This is my, we're doing I it my way. Yeah, I'm yeah. going to make it my way. Yeah. And then after dinner, we'd have either a golden Cadillac or something like that because we'd have to have an after <laughs> dinner drink. So one time That's we said, you know, you got to come to our house. Okay. you got to come here. You, you know, right. We want to be able to do something for you. Yeah. So they did. They came over. He watched how I made the Manhattans, but I remember him sitting in our recliner, and he was sitting in the living room, and he's going, boy, these chairs are so comfortable. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we laughed. He said, yeah, well, you know, you just go with so-and-so, you can buy those. Well, these are so comfortable. Well, here it is, 5.30 in the morning. He's still sitting in the recliner. <laughs> boy, these are so comfortable. It's like, my wife's already falling asleep. Right, right. You know, yeah. I think the hint was, when she went and put her pajamas on, it was time to go. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Right. But uh, he, was a, he was a great guy. I mean, I, yeah. I really miss him also, too. Did uh jerry change after the after the loss of the son after yeah. the accident yeah at one point thelma did mention to us that he would not touch any of ellen's money and she wanted to do some remodeling at the house he wouldn't let her do it and we were kind of like really uh you know he's gone the money's yours uh, he just wouldn't let her touch it so when jerry did pass away she totally remodeled the house and she remodeled everything over there, uh, but it was kind of that was, was kind of a shock. It was like kind of like I had mentioned going to the house. Nothing was moved. Nothing was touched. Everything had to yeah, be Yeah, but in the same I don't spot. think we talked about that on the podcast. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. so it's as if with Jerry, all things Alan just froze. The yep. way the house was set up, yep. his finances, even yep. the way. I think this is allowed to be. Yeah, we're allowed to talk about this. The race team itself. I mean, right. like nothing moved right. anymore exactly. it, because it was all kind of the way. So let's let's talk about the house first. Okay. So so right. you know so the accident happens. The accident happened. We decided you know okay we're gonna build this park. Right. We need to go down there get all the trophies get everything out get of the house. house. Right. So we made the arrangements. Jerry and Tom were there. They always lived there during the winter months of uh, Wisconsin. Would live here in the summertime. We flew down there. Jerry picked us up in his car, drove us to the house. Uh, well, we were at the, we walked into the house, beautiful house, gorgeous house, and uh, walked in. And it was like, wow, just very clean, very everything in its place. And I remember going up into Ellen's bedroom because that's where I slept, and 
opening up the closet, all of his uniforms were in there. Everything was just, it was eerie in a way. But everything, as Jerry would say, don't touch anything. Even in the bathroom, you would have Alan's aftershaves, everything in the bathroom. They were all placed in a certain way. And Thelma said, he won't move anything. He's keeping everything just the way it was, like if Alan was going to come back. He would have a cleaning company come in and do some cleaning. They had to make sure they put it exactly the position that it was. Uh, that was kind of kind of strange in a way. It was kind of like he just didn't want anything touched. Uh, going down into the garage, we had to go through all his paperwork that were there because all the file cabinets were there. When Jeff went I took over the shop, Jeff moved everything over to the, the house, put it all in the basement. Or it was like a basement garage. Uh, there was a uh, riding lawnmower there, sitting there with four flat tires. And we looked at the riding lawnmower, and it was like, okay. So I went back upstairs, and I said, Jerry, I said, who cuts the grass? Oh, I have a company that comes and does it. And I said, okay, what the lawnmower that's down there? Yeah. Alan got that one 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 of the pole positions he had gotten that lawnmower as a gift. <coughs> She's got four flat tires. Can we pump them up and move it? No. Just leave it there. That's where Alan parked it. But Alan's not here anymore. No. That's where it stays. And it was like right in the center of the garage. He wouldn't touch any of that stuff which was very strange. And I, you know, maybe that comes with to the point of the trophies came there, they were put on the floor. It was a surprise to us that it was kind of a messy room. Yeah. Everything's laying there, but maybe that's how I put them there, and that's why he never and he put never them wanted on the floor. And we were talking about that on the video. I mean, the, the trophies are now very well organized and beautiful little case displayed area in, in you know, at Kawiki Park. Uh, that was not the case when you right. when you went to pick them up. They were literally just sitting in a garage. They were just like sitting there on the floor, blankets over them, yeah. in boxes, uh, yeah. pieces. You know, that's kind of one of the amazing things. There was one trophy there that was actually missing a piece off the trophy. And uh, Jerry had said something about that. It had broken at one time. And it was like, okay, fine. Well, we brought everything back here to Milwaukee. And for s it was kind of eerie because... Somebody came up to us one day and said, hey, you might be missing us off one of the trophies, and they had the broken piece. Wow. Wow. And it was, like, really strange. It was like, yeah. wow. And sure enough, we put it back onto the trophy, which was kind of yeah. eerie. Jeff Bodine was very cordial also, too, and giving yeah. us some things, and yeah. he was, you know, quite well, and he did a nice job there. Uh, coming back here then was just, obviously, getting everybody together, mm -hmm. yeah. putting it all together, yeah. putting the trophies that were falling apart, yeah. polishing them up, putting them together and getting the park entirely opened up for their grand opening that we were going to do. Yeah. And uh, that worked out fine. But, yeah, it uh, was a fun experience, let me tell you. Sure. So <laughs> it, uh, I'm just glad for all the people that were very dedicated also to, to doing this, yeah. that all the committee members are out there. And uh, they did a great job and I'm just helping a lot with everything. All right, so, if we, so you're not really taking donations anymore because it's basically funded through right, events exactly. but if we want if somebody happens to come out to road america or they go mm -hmm. to the milwaukee mile and this isn't that far this right. is if you fly into milwaukee airport and you're going to go up to road america it's probably a 20 minute westward detour kawiki park is not that far you can make no. arrangements with the uh you can Greenfield actually Lions go there. there's a number on the door there's okay. a number on the building that says for rentals call this number right and you can actually call them if they said hey i'm from out of town yeah i'm flown in here from so-and-so I'd like to really see the inside of the building yeah they will make arrangements for somebody to be there to open it up for them oh, okay very cool uh, they're cool. very good about it so cool they don't try to keep it a secret they want to make sure people still keep right. seeing everything okay. that's there and where should they go for that 
Pardon? Where would where would I go if I wanted to? Oh, visit? just go to. The I park. mean, I'll give out your phone well, number you, if you, you want. Go to the website. Okay. You know, Alan Quickie Park. There's a number right on there also too. So AlanQuickiePark.com. Yeah. Okay. You can find the information right there. Great. Yeah. Cool. Exactly. Yeah, and it's like a hop, skip, and a jump. It's really airport. not far. So yeah, if you are yeah. flying into Milwaukee for a race, right. you should just check it out. And what's kind of a bummer is that I've been coming to Road America for like 10, 12 years, and I didn't know it was there. Yeah. You know. So glad we found it. So once again, if you're interested in going to the Brooks Pavilion at Allen Kowicki Park, it actually is worth visiting. There is a ton of Allen Kowicki memorabilia. Uh, you'll want to contact the Greater Greenfield Lions Club. That is gglions.org. Once again, gglions.org. And make sure you reach out to them ahead of time because they do need to schedule visits. But uh, it sounds like they're happy to do it. So one other part of the Alan Kowicki legacy is uh, you've already heard about Alan Kowicki Park in Greenfield, Wisconsin. Uh, but uh, his longtime PR man, Tom Roberts, TR, who you uh, heard in episode two, episode three, and of course this episode, he is also the founder of what's known as the Kowicki Driver Development Program, KDDP. Uh, for those who are fans of our show and are familiar with somebody like Jeremy Shaw and what he does with the Team USA Scholarship, this is sort of a short track version of uh, the same concept. But uh, I can't do it justice talking about it here. We'll let uh, TR tell you all about the uh, Kowicki Driver Development Program. Might be a sensitive question to ask, and you don't have to answer it. But um, you know, you weren't on that plane, but obviously you were involved in the activities there. Is there any sort of survivor's guilt or anything like that that comes with it? You know, I, I had. Uh, I think that that's something I had to deal with. Yeah. I dealt with it. Joni helped me a lot too. Sure. I mean, like her comment was this. You know, I've had friends that got killed in automobile accidents, like totally unexpected. I could have been going from my office downtown to the post office, and you know, either as a pedestrian to get run over. You know, you just never know. But also, I think that to some degree, that I'm left behind as a mission. To, to help continue his legacy and to continue to, to educate people as to who he was. Yeah. And, you know, if God has granted me that mission, it's certainly uh, a labor of love. Mm -hmm. So from the, the loss of Alan came the Kowicki Driver Development Program. Which you are. Well, I, I'll explain how that happened. Yeah, that's something I'm really curious about. Uh, I, when I got off the road, I, I get a uh, get a phone call from uh, Jan Beatty, Mark Horn, the banker, and the attorney for Thelma Quick. So they call out of the blue and. Uh, were telling me that that Mrs. Kowicki, that Thelma was looking to do something uh, to help keep you know Alan's legacy and alive, memory alive. They had already started the uh, helping with the engineering programs, you know, the scholarships. Yes. Yes. At, they did it for UNCC and they did it for Milwaukee. Yes, the UWM. University. Yeah. So they already started that. But she wanted to do something that was even more. It was like give back grassroots. And 
they just asked me if I'd like to get involved. I said, you know, this is a time in my life which you caught, you definitely caught me at the right time. This is something that I would really, and again, I said, this sounds like a labor of love. Yeah. yeah. But I said, sure, you know. So we meet a couple of times in Charlotte, and we did a couple of uh, uh, events in Milwaukee and around. This the is you and like the the guys you kind of put together as board. Yeah. Okay. And a lot of this was Thelma's initiative, just saying I want to do something. Right. This is Thelma saying, yeah. yeah. And and we it we were under the impression that the Thelma relationship wasn't particularly strong. So it's always interesting to me that that. Obviously, there was a deeper love and respect there than maybe we heard about in well, terms of her wanting to do something like this. You're talking about for, for Thelma yeah. and Alan. There was not a re- the, there, yeah. was, there was not a uh, again because this is a stepmother. It's always a weird spot to be. There in. you go. Yeah. There you so. go. But she loved him, and she was too respected for what if the life that he had gone through and what then sure and she wanted to do whatever she could and I you know to the, this day I regret that she wasn't able to see him into the Hall of Fame and uh, but anyhow they give me the blank piece canvas and they, so I used the number seven so that's we come up with we're gonna have seven drivers wow we're gonna have seven yeah. board members yeah. they're they're gonna compete for a stipend of seven seven they're gonna have seven 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 for their stipend yeah. they will compete for seven times that right so it's just really has worked into one of the most prestigious yeah. and for short tracks out there and as we speak right now that's what i was telling you earlier yeah. mm-hmm. that deadline for my board guys to get with me to send their seven dri- at the end of the day tomorrow okay hoping that we're going to be able to announce our seven drivers on thursday oh no kidding cool oh, that's only a couple days away cool. so right. we wound up with we had like a hundred apps, and then by the time that we called out Legends car drivers, and yeah. till we wound up with fifty solid candidates that actually got yeah. consideration. And it, to, so to put this in context, uh, a lot of our fans are more road racing based, yeah. and so we met with a, a gentleman named Jeremy Shaw um, not too you, long you ago. You told me that they, yeah. they do a program. Yeah. yeah, they run a program called Team USA Scholarship, which is basically they look at some of the best young talents at very, very entry-level category road mm-hmm. racing, and then they send the top two candidates to, to Europe to go right. race. And this is something similar. It's basically the best short track guys you can find all around the country, and between all of you, you kind of figure out who the top seven drivers are going to be, right. and then they get a stipend. Is it $77,000? No, okay. they, they get a stipend of $7,777. Which but in short track can go away. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, but then they compete for seven times that which is right. the Kawiki Cup, yeah. right? And it's what's that, fifty-four thousand? Yeah, which is a there. nice chunk of change. Yeah, you for, can do a lot of racing on that. Yeah, short, yeah. Well, stock car stuff. Our yeah. uh, defending champion, a uh, guy by the name of Cody Haskins uh-huh. from Georgia, he's going to be able to run the whole cars tour, yeah. tour, yeah, this year, yeah. and focus on trying to win the championship. Right. Yeah, and, you're, and your seven candidates aren't just chosen by who was the fastest and who won the local no, championship. No, it's uh, that. they're. It's, the way that we have our our point system, you, there are co- competition points, but then you, you also get bonus points for your community service work. Okay. Sometimes that actually plays more into it okay. than what the competition points do. Okay. How you represent the organization, how you uh, how you carry on the 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 way that you educate 
children, you bring them in. It's, it's just, it's been so heartwarming, it has. Yeah. And we, we were down to, like I said, we, this time we had so many quality candidates, we wound up with 21 semifinalists, wow. which we did phoner interviews, board members, uh, audio recordings, and now the board is in the process of choosing seven finalists from those 21. From and I'm sitting here telling you right now that we could have 15 to 17 that would be. All would be good. Yeah. Do you, does it bonus points if you're obsessed with your hair? <laughs> Just saying. If it's a legacy. What about Twitter followers? <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you have a comb in your car. If you have a comb in your car. Right. I never thought it? about that. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> or uh, you're willing to work 22-hour days. Right. Right. All right. Um, <laughs> and, and honestly, you know, there's so Alan would be so proud of what we're doing. Yeah. yeah. So like Jeremy Shaw, we're proud to tout a lot of big names: Joseph Newgarden, yes. Andy yes. Lally, you you name it. Uh, what about from the Kawiki Driver Development Program? What what uh, any any big names that have? That Tom Majeski, he was our first. Oh yeah. Guy. Okay. Yeah, sure. yeah, he's a real. Thing. He was our first, he was our inaugural champion. Okay. We heard from Tom Jensen in part one of our Alan Kowicki special. And again, Tom is a longtime NASCAR writer and journalist, and currently the cultural affairs manager at the NASCAR Hall of Fame. And as we mentioned in every episode, that Alan is on the list of nominees to be inducted in the NASCAR Hall of Fame this year. And we went to the Hall of Fame in Charlotte, North Carolina, and Tom explained to us how that process is carried out. The thing that sticks with me is, more than remembering the day he died, I remember the last thing he said at the banquet in the Waldorf Astoria. He said, I hope I make a good champion. And those words kind of hang with me, you know, be, because he would have been a great champion. Yeah. He, he, he embodied the work ethic that NASCAR wants. He was good with his sponsors. He was a Horatio Alger story, a guy yeah. who came from you know, came from almost nothing when he got started and, and beat the big boys. I, I mean, you know, people always say, well, you're a writer. Who's your favorite driver? Who do you root for? And I said, no, no, no. <laughs> you don't root for a driver. You, you have to treat everybody equally and fairly. But what you root for is a good story right. because a good story writes itself. Yep. And there was no better story ever than Alan Kowicki. Just that simple. So that's a perfect yeah. statement right there. That's going in. Anyway. <laughs> so it's uh, 2018. The candidates for NASCAR's Hall of Fame, we, we are right now. Right. Yeah, we, so we're literally <laughs> sitting in the Hall of Fame, and you now work with the Hall of Fame. Right. right. Um, so uh, before talking about Alan, t what's the process for people getting inducted? It's, it's, there's two phases. At Speedway Weeks, the Friday before the Daytona 500, there's a group called the Nominating Committee. There's mm -hmm. 24 people. Brian France, Mike Helton, a lot of track operators, some old timers. Um, the fact that I'm in the group and I bring the age demographic down <laughs> is truly <laughs> shocking. <laughs> um, but it's a lot of people who've been in the sport and we right. sit in a room for about three hours and we throw a bunch of names out and we write them down on a whiteboard. Okay. And at the end of it, there's a blank ballot passed out with numbers one to 20 on it and you hand write in who you think the 20 people should be oh right there during speed week right right yeah. there okay then that goes in a sealed envelope and an account and we don't know when we leave the the room what everyone else wrote yeah, yeah who voted for who and it's a very frank and candid discussion and and 
um, we put the ballots in sealed envelopes. They're given to an accounting firm. And then the first week in March, they're announced. Now, typically what happens... Is and, and when you say they're announced, the nominations are announced, the not the inductees. The 20 nominees yeah. are announced. Now, yeah. typically, 15 of them carry over and five new ones are added. Yeah, sure. But there's no guarantee that could happen. There's, right. If there's somebody who's been on for a long time and has never gotten any traction he theoretically could fall off and they add six or seven new new people instead sure. of just five but most most years it's it's the 15 prior and and five new ones on may 23rd at the nascar hall of fame and this event is open to the public so you can come watch it um, we have what's called voting day and we have a larger panel Roughly 55 to 60 people. The, the mix changes a little bit every year because people retire and change jobs and, and, and whatnot. But we get together and we essentially repeat the same process only with a bigger group of people. We talk about the 20 people. There's always you know, somebody who will get up and make an impassioned plea on behalf of his favorite guy sure. or her favorite guy. There's some people who talk about the same people every year. There's some people... You know, there, there's and this is like a town forum. Who gives these pleas? Who are these? Who, who are these people, people that are giving oh, pleas? There are they are people who work for NASCAR. They are track owners and operators. Okay. They are retired drivers and crew chiefs. Okay. They are media members, podcast hosts, and <laughs> one vote um, collectively. One vote goes to the fans. So fans can go on NASCAR.com or NASCARHall.com and vote for their favorite person to get in. And at the end, if we get 2 million votes, you know, that counts as one of the 57 votes. Okay. So, and, and sometimes it, there, there's real shocks. You know, the France family and Bruton Smith have been at loggerheads since the 40s. When, right. <laughs> when, when Smith w was promoting his series yeah. and France was trying to launch NASCAR and they've battled off and on ever since. Well, a couple years ago, Brian France got up in the middle of the meeting and said, Bruton Smith's not going to live forever. Let's get him in this year. And a lot of people just kind of looked, looked yeah. around, and, and Brian gave uh, a little bit more detail about why he thought he should get sure. in. Yeah. And sure enough, he got, he got voted in, which, which was, I won't say it was a shocker, because everybody on the list is deserving. It's only a question of when, but... Uh, I didn't see that coming. Maybe yeah. other people did, but but I didn't. So we, we talk for two or three hours, and then we vote, and then we go out into the Great Hall here at the NASCAR Hall where fans can gather, and they announce it live on television. Just on, hours after you guys deliberate. Yeah. 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 And, and again, we don't know it until it's announced because the ballots are all done in secret. Right. And... and um, uh, but God, it's it's a fun day. Oh, yeah. I believe it. Sounds like it. So Alan has been nominated um, for the last several years, as I understand it. Yes, um, and I believe he made it into the into the the final eight last year. Okay, uh, you know, I got to imagine his time is going to be here fairly soon. Yeah. Well, so we are hoping. Yeah. <laughs> what? So what can what can our fan base do to to get him to get him uh, inducted this year? Go to nascarhall.com or nascar.com and vote for him. Okay. It's as simple as that. And that, that will be one, one vote. Yeah. 
So once again, that was uh, Tom Jensen with the NASCAR Hall of Fame explaining how that entire process works. And uh, uh, before we wrap out of here, that's it's something very near and dear to us that, that we really want to see Alan get inducted uh, this year on this 25th anniversary of his passing. So once again, you can go to NASCARHall.com or NASCAR.com and you can vote for Alan Kowicki. We try to get him inducted. We know our followers are very passionate about what we do at Dinner with Racers, and we're hoping that we can make that vote count. And remember, that vote is a big part of who gets inducted. So, again, NASCARHall.com or NASCAR.com. Find the link, vote. You can vote many different times. And also, our friend Tom Roberts, TR, he's created the hashtag AK4HOF, lowercase o, and we want to see that on Twitter, Instagram, wherever you're using hashtags. And we'll be doing it ourselves. And, and we'll be retweeting all of those that we see because we're really passionate about trying to get Alan into that Hall of Fame. So, of course, this was a very different series of episodes from what we normally do. Uh, we really, really appreciate everyone kind of joining us on this journey as we learned about one of our heroes. And, and it was really something that we wanted to explore. And once again, you can follow our entire video journey on our Dinner with Racers YouTube page as well as dinnerwithracers.com. Uh, but to uh, close out, this was a very different concept for us to do a four-part special about somebody that we never met and, and couldn't represent himself, of course. Uh, and it's really somebody we wanted to learn about, and we hope you enjoyed it with us. Um, but as we close out, we're really hoping that on this 25th anniversary of Alan's passing that he uh, does make the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Uh, but we felt stronger than us making the argument would be the people that knew him best. So we're going to sign off here and uh, let Doug Mayer, his best friend, Tom Roberts, his lifelong PR guy, Paul Andrews, his crew chief, and Father Dale Gruba tell us why. So on that sort of legacy side, for lack of a better expression, um, if, if going on something like this, if there was a legacy you were hoping to sort of leave behind with with Alan, especially 25 years on where he's less and less known. Um, if there was sort of one trait or one thing you wanted to, to leave behind that people knew about him, what, what would that be? Uh, as a, he was just as a best friend. That's what he was. You know, he was, he was your best friend. You know, he didn't never let you down. You know? yeah. Total, totally different guy away from the racetrack. You know, yeah. Yeah. the hard ass that everybody thought he was. Yeah. Uh, not at all. You know, of course, I saw him in all the different times, you know, right. girlfriends and, and you've, you've seen him fail, yeah. Good yeah. times, bad times. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sounds like he was just a dude. Yeah. Just a, uh, just a good dude. Yeah. And then, uh, so most recently, um, the, the new nominees for the 2018 Hall of Fame class were announced. A um, lot of big names on that list, but Alan was one. And correct me if I'm wrong, but this is not the first year he's been a nominee. I'm going to tell you this. I just... <laughs> I don't see how the voters can sit there today and look at everyone that they have chosen and tell me that there's not one of those that Allen deserves to be in there over. They don't take in the total, as we have talked here today, from day one, from what Allen was against the odds in 1986 when he came in and won the Rookie of the Year, yeah. and he went on to they don't look at that they don't take the whole big picture of not only what he was able to accomplish but how he accomplished it so obviously you you agreed to do this which we couldn't be more appreciative of um you know april 1st 2018 will mark will mark 25 years it's hard to believe uh, by the way yeah. oh yeah no, i know <laughs> i believe it yeah. uh doing something like this or or 
you know, some of the other media appearances over the years talking about Allison, uh, Alan. Uh, what is the legacy you're you're hoping to leave behind with him? I think success. You know, uh, I feel like just about everybody on the team has been successful in you know in their own rights. Um, um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, <coughs> uh, that was a, an amazing year. He, Alan was an amazing person. And uh, one that we still miss, really. Yeah. Uh, the most recent list of Hall of Fame nominees uh, mm -hmm. came out. He's one of the potential ones uh, right. to, to be inducted this year. Not the first year he's been nominated. Right. And so far in the last several years of being nominated, it's, it's never happened. Right. Um, what would your contention be to, to have him be part of the Hall of Fame this year? Well, I think he's well deserving of it. Um, you know, he, he didn't win as many races, but he wasn't here near as long. Um, I don't think anybody could do that again, what he did. And I think it needs to be recognized. Uh, you know, very talented individual, dedicated, dedicated to the sport, and, uh, you know, worth being in the Hall of Fame. There have been owner-drivers that have won the championship since then. Right. Um arguably under extremely different circumstances. <laughs> yeah. Um, the reason we think Alan is so significant is that the way he did it could arguably never be done again. It shouldn't have even be done then. Right. Um, where do you stand on some on that kind of claim? Yeah, I don't, I mean, back in that in that era, in that day, um, you know, there just nobody did anything like that, even then, right. you know. Yeah, there was owner drivers, but they were, they, you know, they were in the back of the pack. You know, they yeah. wasn't contending for wins and contending for championships. Twenty-five you know? poles or something like yeah. that. Yeah, like you know, the guy came fresh out of Wisconsin and yeah. in no one's a ever heard limited of that. season <laughs> yeah. and sit on the pole at Richmond. You know, yeah, so, right? You know, it, that, that's a once in a lifetime talent. You know, and that's that's what Allen was really. You know, once in a lifetime yeah. talent. I feel like so. You can tell me if this is an inappropriate question because I really don't know yeah. if it's inappropriate. Um, you know, there's a. Uh, uh, to have to have spent his whole life to accomplish that that dream, mm -hmm. and to have it all <coughs> taken away in a very strange circumstance five months later, um, there's a there's almost a cruelty to that. There is, and uh, you know a lot of times when those sort of moments happen, that the common expression is things happen for a reason. There's a plan to this. Mm -hmm. um, coming obviously from from your background, how do you explain that? You know, I think I explain. Well, in Alan's case, I would explain it this way. <coughs> I think all of us are born with a purpose in life. And, you know, your purpose is doing what you're doing. You enjoy it. You know, if you, if you, find, that, if you find that purpose, you're going to be happy. You know, and uh, like for me, I could never have chosen a better vocation than the one that I have. You know, it, it's been so rewarding in so many ways that, uh, you know, that's my purpose in life. And I think, you know, Alan knew his purpose in life and you know and and in winning the championship he accomplished that purpose in life and yes he didn't get to use his boat which was you know there or he didn't ever get to get married but you know at the same time i think you know he he had this purpose and uh you know and he was happy i think in in his own way in just accomplishing that purpose you know and i think that that gives life lasting meaning when you do that